Good morning, everybody. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the senior pastor, senior pastor. So uh, glad you're here with us. If you are brand new, thanks for coming. Uh, this is a great church, great family, uh, despite how we look. So, uh, so we're like, hey, how do we look? No, I love the people here. We're glad you're here. Um, so we preach from the Bible here. Uh, so if you want to follow along. We've got notes on a little thing. Just There's a Bentry app or the Bible app. They both get to the same place. Uh, but you can look it up at the app store. You can look at uh, uh, all the notes are on that under events, under Bentry. So, and then also the notes are there. All the scripture that we'll cover, or at least most of it, sometimes I throw in stuff. If you want to go ahead and turn your uh, Bible over in your Bible to Genesis chapter 10. And you're going, Genesis, Paul, I thought we we're in Revelation. We are. We're in Revelation volume 4, the return of Christ. Amen? Uh, this has been a four-year journey for Bent Tree. Each fall, we've taken about seven, eight weeks and looked uh, and kind of travel through verse by verse as we do that. Um, so um, three things before we begin. Come early, uh, engage. Uh, like you guys actually did better than the first service. I think before the first service, there were like six as the service started. And then there were like a hundred something as of two minutes in. Get, get here early. Uh, what I mean is like 10 minutes before the start of the service. Get in here and uh, risk some stuff. I know uh, if you're an introvert, that might be a little scary, but listen, these are some of the best people on the earth. I promise you that. Uh, get to know them. Uh, then sit forward. You guys are starting to do that. Thank you. I love that. And then bring your Bibles, take notes. Um, <clears throat> well, it might seem strange to start our uh, study of Revelation today in Genesis. I mean, we're 66 books away from the end. Um, think about it this way, in Revelation, you'll remember if you've been here the whole time, all the way back to volume one, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the... We start in the beginning because it is closely related to the end because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And these two books are inextricably linked, even though there's 64 books in the middle that tell the story of God. Um, well, I can't wait to get started. Uh, we'll answer uh, the question of how these are linked together today a little bit more. You're about to see some stuff that you've never seen before. Um, I got to say, sometimes uh, weeks, some weeks are easier than others, uh, just preaching, getting everything together. Uh, thank you for praying for me through this series. This is one of those weeks where you have to buckle up, right? We're just going to go through a lot together, but this stuff is real. This is powerful stuff. And listen to me, it will change your life. It will change your life if you drink this stuff in. Let's first pray. Let's get started. <clears throat> God in heaven, our Father, we worship you. We thank you. We thank you for this place to meet, this building, the freedom to meet, to be able to lift our voice, to jam out, God, to just um, lift your name loud in this place. But God, we thank you for each other too. We thank you for each person here in this, this body of Christ we call the church. We know that no one is here by accident, even the ones that accidentally came. We know you brought them on purpose. We thank you for uh, who you have brought to this group 
in this group of people right here in this moment in time that you speak your words, uh, make us into your people, make us into your church, refine us. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds to these words, help us drink them in, apply these words to our lives, reveal what we need to know, God, uh, give us wisdom, help us to give our attention uh, as an act of worship. Uh, we love you. It is in the name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, Amen. Amen. Well, today we start way, way back, all the way back in Genesis. And if you want to read this, you can go on your own and read it. It's fascinating to read. Uh, but it is the story of Noah. We're starting right as the boat, boom, comes to a halt. And they get out on the land. If you want to look at chapter 9, talks about that piece. If you want to look at 7 and 8, you can look at the flood itself leading up to that stuff. Um, but chapter 9 describes Noah and his family after the flood and how they begin to multiply and spread out on the earth. And God says, go and multiply, be fruitful, spread over the earth. And, and they start doing that. Verse 6 uh, of chapter 10, though, tells us of Noah's son, Ham, uh, who had a son he named Cush. Anybody love the name of Ham and Cush? I just love that. Now, mom's expecting babies. Those are two good names. Uh, a little baby Ham and a little baby Cush. I think that'd be great. Um, Cush, though, has a son whose name is Nimrod. Nimrod. Now, moms, if you were thinking about that one because you thought, man, I really like how that one rolls off the tongue, don't do it. Don't do it. Ham, Cush, those are okay. Nimrod, not a good dude. We're going to look at this uh, in chapter 10, verse 8. Here we go. Cush fathered Nimrod, who began to be powerful in the land. He was, powerful, was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. His kingdom started with Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From the land he went, from that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. You've heard of that. Rehoboth, Ir, Kela, and Rezin between Nineveh and the great city Kela. Now I want you to see why start there. It's going to blow your mind. Look at the wording. Who began to be powerful in the land? Who's it talking about? Nimrod. This guy. Nimrod was the first dictator, this powerful king in the world. He is also not just powerful politically. He is powerful like he's a warrior. Like he, he'll just flat take you out. He's a warrior. He's very powerful politically as well. He is ruling the world with an iron fist. And when it says, in the sight of the Lord, that's not a good thing. It means God is observing this wickedness that you are about to see here. Now, but the thing I want you to understand is that this kingdom started with a country called Babylon. Write this down. The first one world religion and government was Babylon, and this be it. Now, jump ahead with me to chapter 11. Just like many times in the Bible, chapter 10 covers this big, long time frame. Even though it's just a few words, it's this big, long time frame. But what chapter 11 does is it goes back to chapter 10 and covers something that's relatively short in time, and it's like close up, 
and, and you let this thing kind of run past you sometimes. If you grew up in the church, you've heard this story. You go, oh yeah, it's that. But I don't want you to do that. This, this thing is inextricably linked to the book of Revelation. Let's look at Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. Let's just check and see if you're listening. How much of the earth had the same language? The whole earth. Okay. As people migrated from the east, ah, I'm sorry, it's hard not to just preach right here. Uh, there's so much to go from the east. Why in the east? From the east. In other words, they're headed west because they were, that's where Eden was, right? They're leaving that way. So as the people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let, uh, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Other words, uh, other words, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. This is all under the the." Guy Nimrod, the, the dictator, new building technology comes in here. Now, don't let this go by you here. And they, you go, bricks? You mean bricks? That's new. Yes, bricks are invented. Now, this is why it's important, because if you just use wood, there's only so high you can go. And there's not a lot of wood in this. It's the current day Iraq. And there's not a lot of rock there either, but even if you had a lot of rock, then you've got to chisel each piece. Each one's got to be kind of handmade. You with me? But if you make a form of a brick and you take this dirt and you got to slop it in these forms and then you oven fire the bricks, they become like stone. Now, that would be one thing, but there's a second piece, and that's that asphalt is the piece that you put them together. It makes them stick. Are you with me? Now you go, Paul, why is that a big deal? Here's why. The first city is born. And, and why this is important, because all those other building materials, until you get to this point, you go one or two stories. Now you can have buildings that go multiple stories. We still have some called ziggurats in uh, Iraq. You guys that have served in Iraq, some of you have told me you, you saw some of those things. They're, they're big kind of pyramid looking deals. This is the earliest kind of building that goes up. And why this is important is you can have a lot of people in a small area, a city, a city. Everyone's gathered here. Now, I want you to understand these words are Nimrods. Come let us make bricks. Come, let us build ourselves a city. Come, let us build ourselves a tower. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Now, we've, what had been the plan of God originally? That we would scatter all over the earth. Think back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This is the verse right after we read last week when God created man, right? Mankind. He's talking to man and woman, and it says, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. And then God had given them the same charge after Noah had landed the, the ark, right? They're supposed to spread out. 
This is against what God had said. But now this Nimrod guy is saying the direct opposite of God's command. Why? Because he's making a religion here. Now watch what happens. These guys are building the city. They're building this economic system. They are building this tower as a symbol of worship of who they are. This is meant to be funny. It's not going to sound funny to you when you read it, but it's meant to be sarcasm. Verse 15, back Genesis 11. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. God sees everything, right? There's nothing that God can't see. God sees in your heart right now. He's outside of time and space. But what this is saying is God is going, you built this big city, did you? Hey, let me get down here and take a look at your city. And he has to come down from heaven. And he looks, oh, look, there's a little tower. There's a little city. Good job, guys. I like little cities. And you see what it's saying? God is making fun of them. Now I want you to see something here. Verse 6. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, don't miss what's happening here. God is not worried that somehow mankind's going to take over the universe. That's not what God's worried about. He's worried that they will miss his love for them. Worried's the wrong word, but you get what I'm saying. They're going to miss their purpose. What was the purpose of the city under Nimrod? To build a name for who? Themselves, to make our name great so we're not scattered. I want you to understand something very important here. The original purpose of Babylon was self-worship. This is the first religion. It is the first religion. Now, don't miss what's happening. What is Nimrod doing? He's creating a world that doesn't need God. What was the purpose of the city? To worship themselves, right? To make the name for themselves. Now, why this is so bad is that Satan did what he did in his rebellion against God. Consider the words of the prophet Isaiah when he describes when Satan, what Satan was thinking when he rebelled against God. Isaiah 14, 13. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of gods of the gods assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, you hear it? It's ringing in your ears. Maybe it doesn't, but because maybe you think this way. I, 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 me, 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 I, I, me. It's all about me. The world's religion now will say, oh, have your best life now. Oh, it's all about you. you I, God wants you to be happy. God wants everything to be about you. It's scary how Satan's fall was so much about self-pride. Because I see it in me. And him building a name for himself, Satan building a name for himself instead of God. And then you see this in our sin today. Sin for me capitalizes on what I want, what's best for me to make a name for Paul. Now, do you see what this guy Nimrod has done here? 
This is brilliant if you want to create a religion. He has led the people away from God. He has said people should not follow God's plan. They should spread out all over the world. That is what God had said. He said, no, 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 let's stay here. We'll take care of each other. He has, conce- uh, he has convinced the people to build these cities and to live together. Nimrod, and I would add, Satan through Nimrod has invented a religion. Nimrod under the influence has created this one world religion. All right, back to Genesis chapter seven, uh, chapter 11, verse 7. It says, um, this is Nimrod speaking, come, let us, no, 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 this is God speaking, sorry. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they uh, stopped building the city Therefore, it is called Babylon. For the Lord confused the languages of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Two things God does. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the Godhead, or what we call the Trinity, right? God the Father is talking to God the Son. Who is that? Jesus, right? God the Holy Spirit. And other heavenly hosts that may be listening in, angels. But what we see is Jesus is a part of this from Genesis. Do you understand? And what are the two things they're going to do? They're going to confuse the languages and they're going to scatter them. So don't miss this. If your skin is white or black or somewhere in the middle or uh, you're of Asian descent, all of us come from one place. But what God does is he takes the one people group and he scatters them all over the world. Now, we don't know if he made them walk the whole way or he simply, what I believe is, took people and scattered the tribes. It's where the skin colors came from. It's where the different languages come in. But the bigger thing I want you to see, it's where all religions come from. It's where all religions come from. They stopped building the city and the tower, but the bigger picture I want you to see is this. God smashes the false one world religion into many religions. When I was a kid, there was a spider that was huge. It was like that big. It's probably like that big, but I saw it like that big. And I was, I was like, I hate spiders. Anybody hate spiders? Let's raise your hand. Yeah. So I killed the spider by stepping on it with my trusty cowboy boots. Stamped on it. But what I did not know is this is a kind of spider that carries thousands of little spiders all over them. And they went, (laughs) and I was like, oh no. No, I was like, "Ah!" because they were everywhere and they were fast. Now, let's move forward 6,000 plus years to just before our time, I mean, after our time here. It's in our future, not too long in our future. Revelation 17, flip all the way back to the back. John the Apostle has been given this vision of what is taking place in this last part of the seven years of tribulation. The last part of that is called the Great Tribulation. Now, if you're just joining us, we're going to pick it up in verse 4. We've covered some of this ground already. What you need to understand is this is 
thick with imagery. So it's imagery. Don't shy away from that. Lean into the imagery because it'll help us to go deeper in understanding what's happening here. So a lot of ground. This is packed full of information. Look at this. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. This is that picture of what the Bible calls the great harlot or the prostitute, but she's dressed like a queen. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. Now remember, this is an image. This is not what's happening in the physical world. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. This is the economic system and religion joined together, one world religion, all together. You remember that from last week? But it's sin. On her forehead was written a name, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of all prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Some of you just put this together, didn't you? What you see happening during the great suffering of these seven years uh, of the tribulation is that the religions of the world now have come back together into one. And notice her name is Babylon the Great. Whoo! In a tribulation, God allows all the world's religions to combine back into one. Maybe all the little tiny spiders just came all out at once and back and formed this one massive worldwide religion. This stuff is why it's called Babylon. That's why she's called Babylon because it's referring back to when God shattered all the religions and sent them out all over the world. Do you see this? This vision is what he's seen, but it's not what's being played out on the physical world is a different scene. It is the same, but it's a vision. So let's switch to the physical world during these seven years. Do you see this connection back to the Tower of Babel? The great empire of Nimrod? It's back. So don't miss this. Let me help you get the bearings here in this vision. The woman here is this one world religion, right? The one world religion is led by a dude, a single real physical guy named the false prophet. That's what we know his name to be, his title to be. We don't know what his name is, but he's a real physical guy. And she, the one world religion, is called Babylon the Great. That's what we call her. That's probably not what will be her name. That one guy, the false prophet, is combined with another guy, this is on earth called the, the Antichrist. He's also called the beast. Now I hear that always gives me the creeps. But that guy is the political ruler. The beast, the, the Antichrist, same guy. He's a real guy. And get this, he is loved by the people of the earth. Oh, he is loved. Why? Because the tribulation, when it kicks off, it's devastation right up front. World, all that stuff is just going to hell in a handbasket, right? But he steps in and he brings peace, or at least a modicum of peace. And he gives security. People trade their freedom for security. They go, keep us safe, keep us fed. And this is what he does. He uses religion to bring everybody together, this false one world, one world religion combined with one world government. Now remember, we said this last week, what does the government allow religion to do? 
it allows religion to become the only religion. Because when the state has the religion, they say, you should believe in the new religion. And you say, I don't think so. And they pull out a gun and they say, I think so. Me and my little buddy, right? My little friend. I'm going to make you believe. That's what the one world government does. This system of economics, uh, of religion, all of this stuff. It's coming together and it looks like it's going to work. Look at verse, looks like it's going to work. Look at verse 6. Then I saw the woman was drunk. It's back to the vision now. With the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. By the way, this would be Christians. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. Now, look at that. The woman is riding the beast. The beast is the uh, antichrist, but the vision is this beautiful woman dressed like a queen is riding this beast. She's got this name. He's got names written all over him. That's the vision. What's happening on earth? Millions of Christians are put to death during these seven years of tribulation, persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And all these Christians will have have come to faith in Jesus through the tribulation. If you're a Christian now, we believe and teach that there is a twinkling of an eye, a, a rapture uh, where all the Christians go home to be with Jesus before that time frame. Now that's an open-handed issue. There are good Christians that don't believe that. They believe it's mid-tribulation or all the way at the end. I don't. We teach here that it is a pre-tribulation rapture. But either case, these Christians have come to faith during these, this tribulation, persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Now, we pointed this out last week. The woman, this religion, is driving the killing of the Christians, right? Now, what does it mean that she's drunk with their blood? Blood doesn't get you drunk, right? What is it? Well, we don't know for sure. Don't you wish more pastors would say, we don't know. Here's, a, it's an open-handed thing, but here's as best I can tell. It's part of the economic system that says, if you believe your neighbor to be a Christian, check it out. And if you find out that they are a Christian, the state will and the government will allow you to kill them and to take their stuff. It is socialism in the worst form. It takes the money out right? You see, they become drunk. So people go, man, I want a nicer house. I think I'll take yours, right? I want to live in the mountains. I think I'll take your place. I like your Jeep. Oh, that's too far. But by, by the way, by the way, this is happening in Africa as we speak. Believers are put to death because they worship Jesus. The angel that is giving John this vision is going to tell him what it all means. This is one of the scariest verses of all the Bible. Look at this, verse 8. The beast that you saw, the angel's talking to John, was and is not and is about to come up from the abyss and go on, go to destruction. Keep that thought in your mind. He was and is not. It's about to come up. Don't let this confuse you. Those who live on the earth 
whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast that was and is not and is to come. Some of you are going, I don't get it. It's okay. Let's walk through it slow. If you remember back to last year when we were studying the chapter in uh, 13 in Revelation, this is showing the Antichrist is assassinated. Remember, on, in the physical world, he is a real man. He's assassinated, or at least appears to be. And everyone sees it. Now, before, just a few years ago, that couldn't have been possible. But with the worldwide interweb, you can see it all, right? And so everyone has seen him assassinated. He was. He's assassinated. Was not. And he comes back from the dead. He is again. But it's different. By the way, remember Satan counterfeits everything, right? Everything that, that Christ has created. He cannot create anything. He can only lie about creation. So what's the counterfeit here? The resurrection of the real Jesus. He's playing off of this. Quite frankly, the Antichrist may be called Jesus. He may be called the Christ he has bought, uh, brought peace to the earth. He has brought economic security. And just as all the peace has happened and all this world devastation, he's killed. Do you understand how people would mourn for this guy? I mean, we weren't around for uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, being assassinated. But I mean, Pastor Ralph was. But, you know, with that, <laughs> tell him I said that. And, but people love President Lincoln. Some of you are around when when President Kennedy was assassinated. I remember President Reagan's assassination attempt and people were crying, just walking around crying. Do you understand the level of a worldwide leader you've given your freedom to? And they go, he's dead, he's dead. And they saw it, his boom, his head exploded. Maybe a bullet, we don't know. But then to go, wait, he's back? This is, is un, I mean, dancing in the streets. Do you understand? Now he is worshipped, but not worshipped as a great man. He is worshipped and seen as a God. Why? Because he rose from the dead. Now, we don't have time to go here. But if you'll remember last year when we covered this, when the Antichrist is wounded and appears to die, he is just a man, a bad man, but a man. But when this happens something comes up from the abyss, Satan, and possesses the man. Now, the satanic trinity is in full swing. You've got Satan acting as God the Father. You've got the Antichrist has risen from the dead as the Son. And you have the false prophet that is leading everyone in this wonderful worldwide religion. Is this making sense a little bit? They won't have those names, by the way. They'll have good-sounding names that will give people comfort. We're just seeing behind the scenes through Scripture. Notice, who are the people who are worshiping the newly resurrected Antichrist? Answer, the people whose names are not written in the book of life. Now remember, the book of life, that is the book where the names are recorded of God's people throughout the ages. Now, this 
is a vision that we're talking about, a revelation. John is seeing all this woman and all this stuff and the beast and all this stuff. But there's something in here that is very real that it's explaining, and it's not trying to explain it with anything else, and that's this book. There is a physical book with the names written in it. Now listen close. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your name is written in that book. Do you understand? Your name is written in a real book. It's talking about you. Let's move on to verse 9. It gives us a new image to consider here. Look at just the first part. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. Uh, anybody like to play those games where you're, you're like virtual reality and you're going through a maze and you get to locked doors and it's like locked, you know, and you got to find the little clues and to get the door open and it's like a, you got to find the key. Anybody like that kind of game? Yeah, that's a move out of your parents' basement. I'm just kidding. That's like... I actually like those games too. I like those games too. Here's what happened in a very real way um, is we just came to a locked door. Some of you are going to walk with me through this locked door, but there's a key that you need to get through this locked door. Are you, you tracking with me? What's the key that it says you need? A mind that has wisdom. You go, well, Paul, I'm smart. That's not what it's talking about. James 1.5 talks about this. It says, now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives it to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Who lacks wisdom right now? Who wants wisdom? Let's go to God in prayer. God, we ask for wisdom. Father, we ask for uh, you for this. Give us insight. This is a locked door. Give us wisdom through your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Look at verse uh, 9 again here, the second part of it. You have the key. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Who's the woman? It's this false religion, right? This queen, she's seated on seven mountains there. And the seven heads are the seven mountains. We saw the seven heads. So look at this thing here. The ancient city of Rome is built on seven mountains. Now, Colorado people go, oh, those aren't mountains. <laughs> uh, we would call them what? Hills, right? So this is the prophetic picture. Mountains symbolize the seat of power. Look at this. The seven hills of Rome symbolize the seat of power for the Antichrist. If you're getting this, God has given you wisdom through his Holy Spirit. I mean that as serious as I can be. The seven heads, these seven mountains refer to Rome, the ancient city. Now, some have tried to... Rome, uh, worldwide, means is you can sum up in the word Catholic. So this must mean that the Antichrist is Catholic and the head of the Catholic Church is the Pope. So there have been hundreds of years where the church uh, thought that the Catholic Church would be uh, the center of this. And I'm not saying they're wrong. But I'm saying we just don't know. You can see why people would say this. And I realize this is going to hurt some people's feelings, and I certainly don't mean to, and don't hear me.
I've read it. Pope before that was before that uh, uh, believer either. Uh, I think uh, John Paul, um, although we had different uh, ideas on what this is, but if you look throughout history, the church has been corrupted. The Catholic church has been corrupted with massive false doctrine. That's not to say that there are no believers inside the Catholic Church. I'm not saying that, but not many. And maybe the Antichrist does infiltrate the Catholic Church in the seven years of tribulation. But here's my point. I think Rome and the seven hills uh, points to a new Rome. I think it is a symbol, and we just don't know what that is or where it is. Uh, and I'm not sure it's helpful to try to do it a different way. In other words, you remember last time when we said uh, you can use um, the world and uh, the newspaper and history like glasses and then you can read scripture or you can put the glasses of scripture on and then you can look at the world. Do you see the difference between that? So what we do here, if those are interesting conversations, they're not going to be life-changing. The life-changing thing is getting to know the character of God through this. Making sense? It might be the actual city of Rome, but it's just not important for us to know or we would be given that information. The main thing to understand is it's the seat of worldwide power where these false prophets, this pro false prophet will rule by along with the Antichrist. Um, but then look at the last section of verse 9. Still on verse 9. Uh, they are also seven kings. So these seven uh, horns are seven hills, but it says they are also seven kings. Five have fallen. In other words, five are dead. One is, the other is not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for only a little while. The beast that was and is not and is itself an eighth king. But it belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. Some of you just got bumped off the, the trailer, right? You're just laying on the ground going, hey, come back and get me, right? It's okay. It's okay. This is talking about Satan ruling through the Antichrist. Tons of scholars have poured over the five kings that have died before and have gone on. There's great... Great conversations we can have. We could literally spend weeks here and not do you any good. So we're not going to talk about the five that have gone on. Now we could spend tons of time there. It's interesting conversation. But I want you to grow in your faith because I think the time is short. But what you need to see is that the eighth king is yet to come, is the Antichrist. And he will emerge from somewhere within the new Roman Empire it is, by the way, why uh, many theologians think that the Antichrist will be Central uh, European or Eastern Central European because of where the old ancient Roman Empire was from. Does that make sense? This, is, this explains a lot. Uh, now, here, let's walk back through this verse again. I want you to count with, just think of this. There's seven kings, right? Seven kings. So, if we start with five fallen, we're counting those, five, one is. The other has not yet come. That's seven. And when he comes, he must remain for only a little while. That's also the Antichrist. Why is it only a little while? 
because he's killed. He's shot in the head, right? The beast that was and is not, it's talking about that, is itself the eighth king. Eight right now. But you said Paul at seven. But he belongs to the seven and is going on to destruction. Who is going on to destruction? Satan is. Who is part of the seventh king? He is possessing the seventh king. Do you see where it is? You back on track? Now we could spend weeks, like I said, but we're not going to. Let's look at verse 12. Then, or I'm sorry, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive their authority as kings with the beasts for one hour. Now, this is not talking about a 24-hour period. It's talking about a short time frame. And you go, Paul, I don't get it. Well, you remember when Jesus uh, is at a wedding and they run out of wine and his mother says, hey, they've run out of wine. You need to do something about it. And he said, mom, my hour has not yet come. What did he mean? He said, my time of public ministry of three, three and a half years has not come. This is pretty amazing. I want you to see this. The ten horns came also, uh, can also be thought of as kings or political rulers of the world. We don't just, uh, we don't know who they might be. The world is split up. We, I mean, you can think about it. You can go 10 districts, right? They are ruling. It's the second half of the tribulation, the last hour, three, three and a half years. Do you see this? But what we do know is their purpose. These are the guys that are ruling the world. Look at their purpose. Verse 13. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. What do kings possess that make you pay taxes? Power. And where do they get it? From the gun. I'm not, I'm not trying to be an anarchist. I'm going, they, they have a gun for, uh, the Bible says they have the power of the sword, Right? They can enforce. What did he just give? What did these 10 kings just give the Antichrist? All their armies, all their power. They said, hey, whatever you need to do to end this thing, this Jerusalem, it's out of hand. Now we'll look at this. They've given it to the beast. These will make war against the lamb. These 10 kings, their armies will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them. Someone say, Amen. This is big because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. Brothers and sisters, this is you. This is you. This is you. You coming back with Christ to defeat the armies of these 10 kings that have gathered in this long valley that looks like a funnel on the map that goes all the way down to the city of Jerusalem. They're going, they go, this is our last attempt. We've got to destroy Jerusalem. We've got to put this thing out finally once and for all. And Jesus goes, uh-uh. Boys, ladies, y'all ready to go? You're going to experience it. If you are a believer, feel the ground shake as you ride your horse 
This is huge. The reign of these guys will end in the triumph of Jesus. This is the point that Jesus returns with all the followers who have gone on to heaven in death before they, uh, or in rapture that we talked about, or have been killed during the tribulation. All of them are back now in their resurrected body here on the physical earth. If you are a Christian, this is you. Look at the name the angel calls you, chosen faithful. This is the battle of Armageddon. In other words, we know how these kings die. You kill them and their armies. Well, Jesus gives you the power. Remember, this is not a timeline. This is telling us what's happening in the timeline. And it includes you. And this is important that you own this idea. You are chosen. You are God's people. These kings are a political might. They're a military might. Money and the Antichrist are all there. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Before all of that goes down, uh, happens these things on the earth, the political, the economic system, they get really bad right at the end. Unfathomably bad. Starvation, death in the millions and billions. And it gets really bad for the Antichrist and the false prophet because the entire economic system begins to collapse under the weight of the bowls of judgment we read about last year. You remember the angels pouring out these big, broad bowls of wrath. That's the spiritual uh, picture. That's the revelation of what's happening on earth is there's nothing left. It's just, it's just destroyed. Watch what happens in verse 15. He also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples. We knew that from last week. Multitudes, nations, and languages. We saw this last week and we remember that this prostitute is the world's religions. All of them, they've united together into one government, one world, worldwide religion, and the one worldwide economic system that has promised peace and prosperity. Uh, but it's failing now. But the problem is the system just can't deliver. People are literally starving to death. And with the judgments of God being poured out in the world, everything goes to hell quickly here. And I'm not using uh, an analogy there. So watch what happens as the wheels come off. This government uh, cannot support. They cannot hold together anymore. They've got this massive army in the, world, the field. So watch what the government does to its one world religion. The ten horns you saw and the beast will hate the prostitute. Now it's hate. They loved her before. They will make her desolate, naked, and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose and, her and to give their kingdom to the beast until the wor words of God are fulfilled. And the woman you saw in the great city that has royal power over the kings of the earth. What's happening here? They're having to strip naked the, the prostitute. What are they doing? They're dismantling the religion. They're taking every asset. They're taking all the money from it. They're tearing, they're devouring her. They strip everything of value. That's what it means to make her desolate, naked, to devour her flesh, burn her. And look what they do. Why do they do it? They have to. They have to. To keep their power, they have to, they have to attack themselves. 
I remember my, my brother would grab my arm. He was here in the first service when I was a little kid. He'd grab my arm and he'd go, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. Right? When I was a little kid, I'd go, quit, quit. In a sense, God's doing that with these guys. He's grabbing them and he's just beating them up with the other one of them. He's like, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. The system is collapsing. Don't miss this. God moves the kings and the Antichrist to want to fulfill his purpose. They don't realize that they are serving his purpose by destroying the very thing that gave them power in the first place. Even in the worst chaos in history, God is still in control. We call it God's sovereignty for a reason. Does God sin here? No. Is he using a sinful antichrist to beat the false prophet and to destroy the, the one world religion? He's not sinning, but he is doing that. In two weeks, we'll see how all of this comes together and falls totally down. And you go, Paul, why not next week? Well, Satan will be defeated and locked up in two weeks as we look at it. Um, and Christ will return for the living and the dead. We're going to look at that. But um, next week is Fifth Family Sunday. In the fifth uh, Sunday of the month, we have all the little kids in here. So we're not going to do, hey, here's the beast and the prostitute, right? Or uh, we're not going to hit that. So next week, we have that going. By the way, that's going to be a powerful service. Come, bring kids. I'm going to present the gospel. Uh, I want you to hear that. I am so in trouble here with time, and I apologize. Um, but let me make some last thoughts before we wrap this thing up. What I find so interesting is that in all of this stuff we started with in Genesis, way back in Genesis, and Nimrod and that first religion, God shatters the first religion, right? But then the end comes, the end comes, um, Let me say it this way. God shatters the religion. If you look back in Genesis chapter 12, in fact, turn there if you've got your Bible out. Look at verse 1 through 3. You see, God set up a rescue mission. Jesus himself, God himself comes to earth. He begins the process right here. So do you get what I'm saying is God destroys the one world religion. I mean, um, and all these other religions, think of the spiders, crawl off, right? And then the world, uh, out of that world, God calls someone to himself right there. Look at this. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to be the in the land that I will show you. I will make you. Will make you, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all of the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Abram would be called by uh, be called Abraham, and would be called by God Himself out of the nations and all the languages on the earth, out of the shattered Babylon religion. God would call Abram into himself. He would set him aside to make a na nation, a people for himself. We call them the Jews, the Hebrews. And out of that people group would be born the Christ. 
Do you see how this collapse of the one world religion, God shatters it and he says, out of that, I'm going to pull up people for myself. Follow me on this. Abraham didn't first understand who God was and start living right. And then God kind of noticed him and said, oh, I guess you'll do. You're a pretty good guy. I'll put everything on you. No, he called him out of a wicked world, out of an obscure place. And he says, I want to make a nation out of you and through you. I'm going to bless all the peoples of the world. I'm going to send the Christ through you. And the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as faith. You following me? Here's what I want you to understand. Just like Abraham, many of you have been called out of the world to become a Christian. To be called a son or daughter of the king. Jesus had purchased your freedom by his death on the cross. Your sins have been forgiven and you have been given the righteousness of Jesus himself. There was no guesswork on God's part. He didn't just die and hope you got saved. That's not how it works. It's not like God came to earth and, and he died and he goes, Man, I hope somebody will be, decide to follow me. Just like Abraham, he called you out of a broken, nasty world and says, come to life. And you know it's true. Because when you realized who Jesus was, that he's the son of God, that's not you. That's the Holy Spirit waking you up. Do you understand? He is calling you to himself. You have a choice to make, though. Will you follow God's call on your life to live for him and his purpose? Will you do what he asks you to do? Or, or will you be like Nimrod and go, no, no, no. I want to build a name for myself. I want, I want it to be about me. Or will you sell your life out and say, hey, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll follow you, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we lift you up. God, this is just hard stuff as we realize who we are and who we are not. God, I, I like to think of myself as kind of a good guy, nice. And God, you have just revealed how without Jesus I am sinful, wicked. God, my prayer is that you would call people right now to yourself. That you would help Christians to be able to understand who they are in you and that you would call the lost to you. So God, would you do that right now? Would you call the lost to you? As you pray with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to listen and then possibly pray if this is, is this what you are thinking, if this is what you are feeling. If you're not a Christian or you believe yourself to be a Christian but you're not sure, God is calling you by the power of His Holy Spirit to come to life. What I mean by that is He is offering to pay for your sins through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood that was spilled to pay for your sins. He's offering that. Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? Do you believe 
that God raised him from the dead on the third day. If that's the case, you have been brought from death into life. Your sins, although many, have been forgiven. They've been washed away. You stand before God right now totally righteous, as righteous as Jesus is. I know that's hard to understand. Now, you have a choice to make. You've been justified. Justice has been paid through Jesus' blood. Your sins have been paid for. But now the sanctification starts. Turn from your sin. If you will say, I leave all my sin in the past and live for Christ, He will slowly start to remake your heart to give you a new way to think. Listen to me. There's two ways to think about this. I get this all the time when I share the gospel and people say, I don't really need God. I'm a pretty good person. Or you think, I've done too much and you know how wicked and wretched, wretched you are. Listen to me. It's not about you. It is about Christ Jesus. Will you turn from your sin? Will you follow hard after him? If this is real, and I believe it to be, it should alter every part of your life. So pray this. Pray, God, you can have my life. You can have all my tomorrows. You can have all my plans. End your prayer like this. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen. for your sins through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, his blood that was spilled to pay for your sins. He's offering that. Do you believe Jesus to be the Son of God? 
Do you believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day? If that's the case, you have been brought from death into life. Your sins, although many, have been forgiven. They've been washed away. You stand before God right now totally righteous, as righteous as Jesus is. I know that's hard to understand. Now, you have a choice to make. You've been justified. Justice has been paid through Jesus' blood. Your sins have been paid for. But now the sanctification starts. Turn from your sin. If you will say, I leave all my sin in the past and live for Christ, He will slowly start to remake your heart to give you a new way to think. Listen to me. There's two ways to think about this. I get this all the time when I share the gospel and people say, I don't really need God. I'm a pretty good person. Or you think, I've done too much and you know how wicked and wretched wretched you are. Listen to me. It's not about you. It is about Christ Jesus. Will you turn from your sin? Will you follow hard after him? If this is real and I believe it to be, it should alter every part of your life. So pray this. Pray, God, you can have my life. You can have all my tomorrows. You can have all my plans. End your prayer like this. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, amen.